Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gesslowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Adam Gaslowitz and myself, Robert Port, and we're talking about how to anticipate and avoid issues at the planning stage of estate planning. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We are pleased to have with us today Richard Morgan, an attorney with Morgan & DeSalvo, and John Howard, founder and CEO of Research Resource Planning Group. First, let me ask each of you to uh, give you a brief overview of yourselves, your qualifications, uh, and your firms. Uh, John, let's start with you. Thank you, yes, and good morning. Uh, I'm John Howard uh, with Resource Planning Group. I'm a bit of a serial professional. I began as an accountant, worked for uh, 15 years. Somewhere in there, figured out a way to attend law school, became a lawyer, and uh, practiced law for maybe six weeks. Uh, <laughs> it was really hard, so I decided I had to find something better to do. Uh, I'm now a financial advisor. And in 1991, I established Resource Planning Group, one of the first uh, fee-only financial planning firms in Atlanta. Very good. And Richard? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Richard Morgan, Morgan DeSalvo, uh, trust and estate um, attorney. Started the practice back in, started in 87, but started uh, this practice back in 1995. And we do full service state and trust planning uh, from people from low wealth to extreme wealth and anything in between. Very good. Now, our issue, our topic today is how to anticipate and avoid issues at the planning stage of, an, of estate planning. And as Adam and I and, and our other partners work to come up with thoughts and questions for the show, it, it seemed to me at least that much of this deals with communication. So let me let me start first with this observation or question. I, I, I'm reading a book uh, about how to teach your kids about money. And the author makes the observation that for families who are living on the edge, paycheck to paycheck, they actually do have discussions with their children about money. But he made the observation that those who are well-off or really well-off often don't at all. There's something taboo about that. And I thought that was a very interesting observation and perhaps an interesting way to start this discussion. So do either of you have a, have a comment on that observation? And that will lead us into how to talk with relatives and particularly children uh, and perhaps blended families about wealth and, and how it's going to be uh, used, deployed, and, and estate planning. Well, I, re I read something recently that uh, uh, suggested that people are more inclined to talk about their sex life than their financial affairs, you know, and uh, I found that quite interesting. It made me uh, realize how important the work I do is, and uh, made me grateful that I don't have to talk to them about those other things. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's something about money that, uh, particularly when you've accumulated, you've become successful and you've accumulated some money, that I don't think you're embarrassed about it, but I think you're afraid that, you know, we all want to you know, raise independent, well-adjusted children. 
uh, children that can kind of make their own way in the world. And, you know, I think sometimes parents think that uh, uh, a child realizing the family is wealthy will somehow inhibit that. Right. The the book I'm reading, the title is, um, now I've forgotten it, of course, but, oh, it was The Opposite of Spoiled. And he talks about dealing with kids from a very young age to about 18 and how to do exactly that, make them the opposite of spoiled. Richard, any observations? Um, I agree with everything uh, that y'all have said. Um, I know that my son did a little project in elementary school, or pre-K actually, um, little tile, and it says that a, a mom's job is to give the child roots and wings. Um, and I still stare at that because it's the grounding in being a good person, and I think this whole money issue relates to that as well, uh, and also independence to fly away one day and take care of themselves. So personally, we've done a, we tried to do a good job uh, making sure our kids know that money does not grow on trees and um, to be reasonable. Everything is reasonable. Um, from the professional perspective, we have clients all over the board. We take clients as they are. Uh, and some of them are really great about this. Some don't tell their kids anything. Some kids... To have no idea their parents are multimillionaires, uh, mega millionaires. Um, it's all over the board. But I think the key is the parenting, so the kids are grounded. But I can say that if we tell clients do not give children too much money too fast, because if you do that, it could affect their life in a negative way. They won't try as hard at work or won't work at all. Um, they just won't it'll affect their life in a negative way. So, um, well, we've seen plenty of instances where, right. where in the planning stages, people don't, they do their estate plan, but they don't really talk to their families about what that estate plan says or, or what kind of uh, wealth their children may be inheriting. And I think I heard this morning on the radio that some 40% of spouses don't know what their spouse earns, and, and a higher number don't know what the family actually has in total assets. So it's not even just the, the children that don't know. Often it's the spouses that don't know. So you're doing estate plans in, in, in somewhat of a vacuum and potentially passing on uh, assets to a family that doesn't know anything about the assets they're getting. I, I would agree with you. Um, my personal opinion is I'm all about freedom and choice. Um, so what that means is that if the client wishes to have the children understand what's going on, I'm all for it. And if they don't, I'm all for that too. If there are special situations, we recommend that they bring the children in and discuss it with them to prevent a potential problem. Succession planning with businesses, preventing people, the siblings getting upset with each other, things like that. Um, I have seen um, individuals that are incredibly wealthy and spouse has no idea what they have. The spouse, had, the individual has a problem, and the spouse thinks they're broke. Turns out they're multi-millionaires, but have no idea what's going on. So we advise them, let's fix that going forward. But, but at some point, communication has to be established in a family where they can uh, begin to talk about the, these kinds of issues at, at an early stage so that at some point when the issues become more and more complicated, there's a, a, a mechanism or a framework or an environment in the family to be able to discuss this. So it may not be as important when they're yeah. young, but as, a, as parents age and planning becomes more critical, those issues need to be discussed. I agree, Adam. I think uh, <clears throat> Robert mentioned trust at, at the beginning. And, and the best way to, to have somebody trust you, I believe, is to trust them. People tend to reciprocate. And uh, I think a parent is in a, a particularly powerful position to create a, a 
culture in the family, if you will, of trust and communication. And I think it starts by them beginning to share a little bit about the family finances. You know, at least from my perspective, that's uh, that's the greatest opportunity. So I, I try to always ask parents when we're engaged in the estate planning process, have you talked to your children about this? Maybe, maybe you don't need to, to show them the balance sheet and the P&L, but, uh, but certainly from a conceptual you know, perspective, you know, what, what are the reasons I'm doing this the way I'm doing it? Uh, and then over time, as you, know, as you suggested, uh, you can increase the disclosures to where you know, maybe they, you know, they know uh, much more at the end. And if you get pushback on that from someone who you think ought to be sharing that with uh, their spouse, their children, how, how do you explain to them why it is a good idea to do that? Why it's appropriate? Why it may, you know, cut off issues down the road or learn allow you to develop information that may change what you're suggesting for them? And and, and, and that question in the context of what Richard said, which is the client you know, has the right to disclose or not disclose what they want. But at, but at some point, as advisors, we, we kind of get the feeling that, all right, you know, that level of non-disclosure is going to be harmful to you as a family unit at some point. It may not happen before you die, but at some point, that lack of information is going to cause a problem. Yeah, when, when you're dead is the worst time for kids to find out about <laughs> things. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, those types of surprises can not only be very hurtful to, to children uh, or shocking. <clears throat> can you imagine being a child who, who thinks your parents are fairly modest means and inheriting a vast fortune? I mean, that can be very disruptive, particularly if you're married and uh, maybe your, your spouse doesn't have a high income and all of a sudden you've inherited this huge amount of wealth that can create problems in that marriage. So, so you know, as parents, we want the best for our kids. Uh, presumably, we want the best for our spouses. And uh, the more information we can trust them with, I think the more they will trust us, speaking as a, you know, as a spouse and a parent myself. And uh, I think the, uh, the more interesting conversations, you know, can, can result from that. So. Even even if you don't talk about dollars with kids, I mean, I know Richard. Uh, a lot of trust planning is done when you're doing estate planning. So, uh, and a lot of that is done not necessarily for uh, protection of assets. Some of it's done for tax purposes. And so, even kids who know that their families have a lot of wealth may be expecting that that wealth will be theirs at some point. And when uh, they are surprised to learn that the um, the inheritance is tied up in trust, sometimes for a very long time, uh, that creates hard feelings. It creates some uh, anger issues. And um, do you think those kinds of issues are are things that should be discussed with the family in advance? Yes. Um, So what we do, I think what uh, you had said was about communication. A lot of this is about communication. So when we talked with a client, we really listen to see where potential problems may exist in the future. Could a child be upset by the plan that's being done? Um, And... It happens in multiple different ways. One could be, Adam, like what you said about it, uh, assets being held in trust. Uh, if they're their own trustee, we're fine. If they're not their own trustee, it could be very restrictive, and they might be, may not be so happy about it. So we may or may not want to communicate that depending on the situation. We also have uh, situations that come up often. You have this uh, equal versus fair distribution to children. So you have is equal the right way or not equal the right way. Uh, some may be in trust, some may be outright. And what I tell clients is it's one thing from your perspective to think something is fair, 
but from the child's perspective, perspective, it may not seem fair. And so a great example is you have the really wealthy child who's very successful, business owner, brain surgeon, whatever, and then you have a child who's not successful at all, it's one problem to the next. The parent feels like, oh, this one child who's not doing well needs all the money and the brain surgeon doesn't need it, uh, so we're going to overload the child with no money. If Now, what I tell the client is, that's fine if you talk to the brain surgeon first. If you don't, he's going to be really upset, thinking you don't love him and all other kinds of things like that, even though he doesn't need it. But if you talk to him and explain it, he's probably going to be okay with it and just nipping the bud right at the beginning. Yeah, Richard, what you're referring to is is what I think about as expectations. And And John mentioned a situation where someone does not realize their parents are wealthy and after they pass end up inheriting a substantial sum. The The other side of that is also true. We see situations where children believe their parents were very well off because of their lifestyle, and when they pass, they're very disappointed at, at the fact that little or nothing is left and, and look to, to other people potentially to blame for that. So on both ends Typically, of Typically, that's the lawyers, is it not? <laughs> well, that's what keeps <laughs> well, us in the lawyers. The lawyers must have got it. <laughs> yes. you know, where's, where are the lawyers? <laughs> but, 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 but sometimes what happens is uh, you've named one child or the other as the executor of the estate, and, and the child who thought that there was supposed to be a lot more assets than there are will blame that other uh, sibling who is managing the estate, sometimes claiming that they made the money disappear or they're hiding assets or not accounting properly for it. It's, um, it's not a uh, problem of fact. It's a problem of, of um, perception. We also see that in situations with second marriages and blended families. There's a often, unfortunately, a, a uh, perception that, well, the, the new wife, you know, uh, has all the money or spent it all or whatever the case may be. So, again, communicating as, as reasonably as, as is appropriate about that is, is wise. Do, do, do you ever tell your clients that while you may think one of your children, the perhaps ne'er-do-well child, should get their inheritance and trust while the other more responsible child doesn't need it in trust, do you, do you ever tell them that, you know, that uh, may be reality, but that may not be the, the right thing to do or the fair thing to do, or at least something that you can't just do without letting everybody know in advance? Well, the first issue is, is it okay to treat one different than the other, and what's that going to do with the kids if it's the kids after you're gone? And so we go through that with the client of, uh, if you can do this, not a problem. However, your kids may not like it. One may be upset, and so, so oftentimes... Uh, parents will go ahead and treat them the same, whether they're their own trustee or get outright or in trust. They'll do it for everyone, kind of the lowest common denominator kind of situation. Um, and sometimes they say, no, this is, we have a special situation. Treat this one different. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, but oftentimes in that situation, they're not talking to that ne'er-do-well child because that's going to be a disaster. <laughs> so so um, we would rather them think about nothing about the the parents wealth at that point but that's up to them richard let me ask you this and this i don't do any planning but it occurs to me that there can be situations where a child of a client somehow finds out that you're doing the plan planning and reaches out to you and wants to know what's going on and wants input into it and whatnot and you know we have uh you know, attorney-client privilege issues and confidentiality and all that. How do you deal with that? And it seems to me that if something like that happens, it's a good opportunity for you 
to talk with your client, the parent, and say, look, I've had this inquiry. I can't, you know, talk with them directly without your permission, but they're obviously interested, and this might be a good opportunity for you to, you know, start this conversation. Exactly correct. Uh, <laughs> they call up, and I'm like, why Is that what you call a leading question? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I was expecting you... an answer of yes. <laughs> yes. It was a perfect question and answer. <laughs> and, and, John, let me, let me sort of turn that to you as well. I, um, I, I know there are lots of situations where children get copies of the periodic um, uh, statements of, of their parents' accounts. And how do you deal with situations where you have the parent as a client, but they've asked for whatever reason to have their child uh, or perhaps another relative, you know, just as a backstop, uh, see what's going on. And they call up and you know, want to know what you're doing, what your plan is, have a suggestion that you should invest in ABC rather than X, Y, and Z. How do you deal with that? Well, we we have a very uh, intentional conversation with the, the client, the parent, typically, about what level of disclosure, you know, they are comfortable us making. So we've usually dealt with that in advance. And, you know, so uh, uh, to my knowledge, issues have never really come up around that. But, uh, you know, on occasion, you know, children do know that we have a relationship with the parent and as you suggested they come to us and and ask for information where we haven't had that conversation with a parent and and we go to the parent and have it at that time uh, we do encourage our uh, clients to begin to involve the parents at some point certainly by you know by the time they're uh, in their 60s or 70s uh, and we encourage them to to open things up to family meetings so, you know, I, I consider that part of the training responsibility of the parent. You know, if, if they have wealth, you know, it's not fair to the children to, to foist the wealth on them at a time when they might not be prepared for it. But uh, uh, we even go so far as to where the client has a gift, you know, intends to make gifts to children, uh, suggest that they set up separate accounts and have the child work with us to manage those accounts and account to the parents over a period of time just to kind of kind of give them some experience with uh, and some responsibility. That, I mean, that seems like an excellent way to start the learning curve, to connect them with you and start the process of understanding money management, understanding wealth, perhaps charitable giving concepts, and, and all those things rather than, as, as one of you mentioned earlier, you know, mom or dad passes and all of a sudden – Shazam! You've got you know lots of money at your disposal. You know you know it's also you're exactly right. What what's also interesting, and I've been thinking about this a lot the last few years, is people are living longer, and you know by the time many of the uh, baby boomers die, their children are going to be in their sixties, and their money is not going to mean that much to them. So we're we're thinking, you know, like second generation down now, and we're talking to clients about that, uh, either making lifetime gifts to their children while, you know, they're still young enough for it to have an impact and be meaningful to them, and then creating a state plan around the uh, uh, grandchildren. 
You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. Today we're talking with Richard Morgan, an attorney with Morgan and DeSalvo, and John Howard, founder and CEO of Resource Planning Group. And we're discussing how to anticipate and avoid issues at the planning stage of estate planning. Uh, let me uh, just follow up with uh, uh, the flip side of that issue, which is, at some point, the kids realize there are going to be issues down the road, and, and, and the parents may or may not have dealt with them, but they are, at this point, in the dark about it. So it comes up certainly in uh, second marriage, third marriage situations where, where there are um, kids from different uh, uh, parents. And it also comes up in business transition-type planning, where, where there's going to be a transition of something to someone and the kids don't know, and they're starting to get concerned that if it's not handled well, there could be problems. Do, do you ever talk to your clients or do you ever have the children of clients come to you and say, you know, we kind of need to know that things are, are handled properly so that we don't have what could be the fights we see other families have? Uh, I'll take that. Great question. Uh, we deal with this all the time. Any time that you have special assets, closely businesses, you have significant issues, liquidity issues, control issues, value passing, who's going to get the value, who's going to get the income streams, uh, what's going to happen to the business. You also have a significant number of what I call blended families. Uh, it used to be that you know most of our clients were traditional families, husband, wife, same kids, the same marriage. Uh, that percentage is getting smaller and smaller. We now have a lot of blended families, kids with prior marriages, and lots of issues about that. So the client will come in and say, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to take care of my lovely spouse, uh, and then I want to go to my children, not to the person's children, and then we educate them and say, okay, well, that doesn't happen because if the assets go to the other spouse, that other spouse can do whatever they want with those assets, and your kids will probably get zero. Um, and so we go through that whole analysis. But each of these situations needs um, uh, real thinking about through the process and coming up with what makes sense to them. There's different ways to solve that problem, but they need to think about it and solve it in a way that makes them feel good. Well, how, how do children in those families bring up the issues when the parents don't? What we'll have, oftentimes, if the client comes in first, we usually, it's rare the child calls us around the client. Usually they'll come in with them or not come in at all, or don't talk to us at all. Every once in a while, maybe once every three years, we'll have someone call us up out of nowhere and say, you're talking to my parents. What's the plan? I'm like, I, you know, I can't, like Robert said, I can't, I can't talk to you. Uh, you need to talk to your parents. Um, but what we do have is uh, a, a child client will come in and say, oh, my parents have these situations. I want to make sure that they're okay too. Uh, and so that may introduce them to us or that they need to get other counsel. We'll advise them of the kinds of things that parents need to do. Uh, and then the child will go back and talk to the parents to see if they can get them moving in the right direction or at least to find out that they've done their planning and hopefully what they've done. Yeah, John, do you ever see um, uh, clients come in who, uh, in, in discussing their own financial situation, have the need to know what their parents' um, their parents' plans are? You know, they, they're part of a business, but they don't know what part of the business they're going to get. Or um, Most uh, Adam of our clients are a little bit older, and they're the they're the business owners, or they're the retired professionals. Um, so we don't see as as much of that, but we do everything we can to encourage these conversations that we're, we're talking about here today. And it seems to me there there are two really important conversations that need to 
you know, really be a series of conversations, but need to to be intentional. And that's the the conversation, obviously, about kids. This is what we've decided to do with our wealth. And this is how we're going to treat you when we're gone. And then the other is the the children at some point, if the parents have not been proactive, uh, it seems to me should go to the parents and say, Mom, Dad, you know. Um, we're not trying you know, to pry, but. You're getting old. You know, I mean, this isn't going to end well for you. You know, uh, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be. So you're a diplomat, some, too, I yeah, think. Yeah, there's you know, going to be some point in time where you can't do as much as you're doing now. And uh, you've got you, you've got us. You know, we want to help. We want to, you know. Uh, support you and uh so you know just you know kick that conversation off and it's it's helpful i think to have a time uh because it should be a series i think of conversations uh thanksgiving i think is perfect for these kinds of conversations you know we uh we've kind of focused on new year's you know new year's we get together and we say all right for the next year who are we going to give to you know who are charitable beneficiaries going to be and we try to involve the kids in that um that's when we tend to have those uh, conversations. But it gives us a, a specific time that we know and the kids know. Maybe they dread it. I don't know. You know maybe they don't look forward to it as much as I might as a planner. But uh, uh, they know that we're going to have some meaningful conversations about something. And uh, whether it's giving or, you know, our estate plan, you know, what the kids' responsibilities are going to be when we're gone, uh, or how they're going to take care of us or how we don't expect them to take care of us because we've made uh, provisions for it. So, Do you, do you ever help them by I – mean, if people could communicate the way we're talking about now, Robert and I would be out of business and, and life would be good. Uh, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my intention. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine with me. If everyone got along, life would be great. But, but they don't, and the reason often they don't is because they don't have an ability to communicate. And sometimes there are systemic reasons why they can. Sometimes there are just you know, dysfunctions within a family structure that make it difficult. Uh, do you ever try and find a way for, for families who have trouble with those conversations to – uh, to to have them in in, in maybe a, an environment that we create that is safe. You know, we will uh, instead of having them say things that that might be hard. You know, you 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 as the planner might sit the family down and discuss it with them, or you know, you bring in a psychologist or a family uh, interventionist or something that will help um, facilitate a conversation about things that the family's been avoiding having. We do that a lot, you know, and we're uh, we're in a particularly unique position to be able to do that because we we know everything. Uh, you know, financially speaking, the clients do undress in front of us, you know. And uh, so we, we feel it's part of our responsibility to, to initiate those conversations. And you mentioned dysfunction. I think the only family that's not dysfunctional is the one you don't know, know enough about. I mean, there's, there's, always, there's always some dysfunction in a family. And I think that uh, the good advisor, attorney, CPA, or, or planner should, uh, should be alert for those type of things and uh, should, should, you know, kind of move the ball down the field. Do you think it's uh, incumbent on us as uh, advisors to, uh, to be more paternalistic in that sense? To not just suggest that our client ought to do this, but to, to really suggest Help them do it. Yeah, to really yeah. suggest it. To well, maybe as humans, <laughs> maybe as human beings, uh, we have an obligation to do that. Uh, I think, uh, you know, wherever we can help, I think we should help and, uh, you know. Richard, it, it seems to me that issues like this often come up with a closely held family business that, you know, one or other, the parent or perhaps the grandparent started. And the concept 
is that, yes, the next generation will take it, and my two sons, my son and my daughter, my three sons, whatever it is, will take it, and everyone will live happily ever after. And we all know that doesn't happen. So can you talk a little bit about from the planning stage, and some of this gets into corporate law, of course, but how you give a family an escape valve, I'll say, if everyone doesn't join hands and sing kumbaya forevermore. Right. Um, you are correct that there are significant issues with closely held companies. Uh, I was in a meeting, this is quite a while ago, and I remember it was my first awakening to these issues. I had the uh, dad, the patriarch, who was running the company, mom was there, silent, uh, and we had the son and the daughter, uh, both college educated, both working in the business, and dad just assumed that the son would be taking over the company. He'd already been working there a couple of years. The daughter was about to graduate. And the daughter laid dad out and said, why can't the daughter do this? And stormed out the, out the door. I said, okay, um, there's some serious issues here. Um, so there, there's definitely transition issues. When in, in corporate law and business law, we deal with individuals' business uh, dealings with their estate planning client. Uh, there's standard ways to get this done, release valves, as we call, uh, buy-sell agreements, partnership agreements, operating agreements, where uh, if you have, uh, you know, someone dies, you have a buyout. Uh, but the kind of thing you're talking about is a put call where it says, well, we really can't work together anymore. I will either buy you out or you can buy me out and I'll come up with a number and we'll, one of us is staying and one of us is going. Uh, you can also have agreements and tiebreakers and ability just to sell and get out. Um, I think a lot of this is in the planning stages and understanding who everybody is and what role they're playing. Uh, there's just a lot of issues, and there's consultants that do this for a living to help people through these issues. And you, a lot of times we work with these consultants and make sure that they deal with the soft issues, and we help them deal with the legal structural type issues. Right. So the, the goal is somewhere down the line to have something in place right. that disentangles folks. Yes. What we have one, one thing we have found is, to the extent possible, we really like separating beneficiaries' financial situation. So uh, after parents die, we don't want children to have a pot trust, as we call it, where they're in the same trust share. We want them to have separate shares because we don't want one knowing what the other one is spending, what they're earning. We don't want anything to do with it because I have seen the nicest people on earth get really uptight with each other and start to get, I mean, really uptight about the smallest things because they're in the same uh, financial pot, it's not pleasant. And the first thing you want to do is separate them, which is hence why we call pot trust litigation trusts, which we have <laughs> sent you a few of them for, <laughs> to take care of. And we do appreciate that. <laughs> You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Robert Port, from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Richard Morgan, an attorney with Morgan and DeSalvo, and John Howard, founder and CEO of Resource Planning Group, and we are discussing how to anticipate and avoid issues at the planning stage of estate planning. Well, let, me, let me ask you something uh, related to those uh, wayward children. Uh, it, it is always apparent to, to some children when others 
of their siblings are receiving benefits from parents during their lifetime, uh, either because a child needs financial assistance occasionally or because that child never really uh, grows up. And so uh, some children will watch a lot of resources being put towards supporting that child. I've seen situations where parents were paying the child support payments for that child because they can't uh, earn a living, or that child is still living at home, or the parent is paying them an allowance. And these children watch this happen over, over the years, and you know, it's, it's often inappropriate to say, you know, you know what about me, because that, that's not what a lot of kids do. But um, that does create a, a growing um, sense of uh, anger and, uh, and entitlement that um, simmers but never really comes to the surface. Do you, do you address that with some of your clients on, on how to either balance that out or how to discuss that with the children, you know, that maybe you're going to balance it out later or maybe, you know, this is just the way it is? And, you know, how do you, how do you address that? Well, the way we deal with it is, uh, sorry. No. Uh, the way we deal with it, this comes up a lot. Um, as we said, the only dysfunction, non-dysfunctional family is one you don't know enough about. Um, but what happens is we talk to the client, and they will usually go pretty deep with the conversation, tell us about your kids, tell us what's going on, tell us what's been going on. Uh, and if there's been significant amounts of funds over time that have passed, even if they're not that significant to me, but to them they're significant, uh, but to the client significant, then the issue comes up, do we do, treat it as an advancement where it's part of their share? Do we now even it up? Or do we say, no, let's just keep it even or some other way? But this is one of the situations where, come back to the example of the brain surgeon and the ne'er-do-well child, um, where you may want to talk to the child who's done well, well-educated, worked hard, to make sure they're on the same page. Because it's not always as clear as it seems. So, for example, uh, if we don't give the, the ne'er-do-well some funds, maybe probably in trust, uh, then the brain surgeon or the child that has done well may end up feeling the need to help support this person. They don't want to feel the need to help support this person. So it's not always as clear as it seems. So we, we'd like it to end happy the best we can. You can't change an ne'er-do-well, but you can do the best you can with it. Yeah, I've often thought that, that uh, to the extent parents don't talk about it during their lifetimes, uh, a recognition in their will that simply says something like, I, I understand that I have provided more help to one of my children during uh, my lifetime than the other, and while I don't know how much that is, I'm going to leave an extra X thousand dollars to that other child. Uh, in my will, just as a, a recognition or a token that I understand that, that I helped one more than the other and I, and I didn't mean to slight you. Uh, not as a, 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 a substitute, but as sort of a placeholder. What we have found is we, we, don't, like, we don't like miscommunications, we don't like hurt feelings if we can help it, um, misunderstandings. So we will, as part of our process, letters and memos and everything, whether we put it in the do- legal documents or just in a, a letter or memo, explaining why it's not traditionally done so it's not equal why is it an equal there's probably a real reason why and we will kind of summarize that so it's clear there's a real basis for doing this yeah i I found that people really are thoughtful and intentional when they develop their estate plans and uh it's 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 a shame when you know they they come to some conclusions that that result in treating one child differently than another that just aren't communicated so if you can do it and if they can't talk to their kids for whatever reason uh, that's your last opportunity, I guess. Yeah, put it in the put it in the documents. Well, often, uh, um, the, the planners, advisors don't know. 
you know, clients come to you and, and you get their financial information, you talk to them about an estate plan, but they may not know unless they ask that, uh, you know, one child really did need a lot more help during their lifetime. And That, that raises an, an interesting issue. How often, and if it's all the time, I'd be interested to know, how often do you insist that a client share with you what their financial plan is, what their estate plan is, and how often, if you see something that is an issue, do you get involved in this whole communication process, either with with an estate planner like, like Richard or, or your client, and try and push things, or at least recommend make recommendations that you think might be uh, thoughtful or helpful? We, we do that rut- routinely, actually. We, um, we, we look at uh, documents. We line up uh, the estate plan created by the attorney, and the documents with the way uh, clients hold title and have beneficiary designations, we actually create a flowchart that helps the client uh, understand exactly what happens to, to their wealth when they die. And in that process, we identify issues, and we, we help in, in some cases, the case of uh, second marriage, for example, we help them uh, develop a policy approach toward uh, how they're going to leave the wealth. Uh, for example, you know, uh, you know, perhaps the uh, the wealth accumulated up to the second marriage, you know, is left in some proportion to the first uh, group of children, and then the the wealth accumulated after that that marriage is shared in some different way, and then encourage them to talk to the kids about it, uh, so that they understand the the principles, the concepts, the you know, the policy behind what they've done. Uh, we get we get pretty involved. As as a matter of policy, do you insist that a current copy of the will be a part of your files? Do you go that well, we far? Don't, we don't insist, but I've never had a client decline <laughs> to provide me with a copy of the documents, and we we do uh, we do review them for problems, you know, uh, based on what we know about. Because quite often the attorney, you know, is is distant from the the family situation as it exists when we're looking at it. Sometimes there's not full disclosure to the attorney of the assets, the nature of the assets, you know, partly because, not because the client's trying to hide anything, but just because the client doesn't understand the nature of their wealth. And uh, so we're, again, in that unique um, uh, position of being able to understand the wealth and communicate to the client what they've done through their documents and, and line it up with what their real intentions are so that uh, things can come out better. I think you raise a good point. Um, when a client comes in with us, uh, most of the time, they come in with a preconceived notion of I want it simple. I want to take care of if they're married. I want to take care of my spouse. We give my kids equal shares. Not old enough. Maybe put it in short-term trust. Um, it's very simple, very short conversation. It's our job to be thoughtful, which is to engage them in a conversation and really listen and keep digging to find out what's really going on. Let's really look at the assets. Let's really look at the family and let's figure out what's really going on, then give them individualized options so they can do what they really want to do, not some preconceived, let's just keep it simple. I you know, heard you can get a will, and i got to get a will done. When they say, let's keep it simple, they probably <laughs> mean, I don't want to pay much for this right. will. <laughs> right. that, that's the correct translation right. of, of that. Um, let, let me ask about this, which also you know, obviously goes to um, communication and how this is all going to play out, and that is um, – how and whether uh, children should challenge their parents' choice of fiduciaries. If the child gets wind that 
you know, Uncle Bob, who's never done anything good, is nominated as trustee or is going to be executor or whatever the case may be. Um, how do you deal with, with those kind of conversations? Because obviously, you know, the, the choice made is one that the client, for whatever reason, thought was a good one or at least believes they can trust. But you as the advisor in either of your capacities may think that this, this is a disaster waiting to happen or, or perhaps litigation waiting to happen. I, I, what I would say is choice of fiduciary is one of the biggest issues that the client needs to decide on. And that's actually one of the places that I love it when a loved one tells me we have a problem. This is not the right person to do this job. We spend a lot of time talking to our clients about the importance of the choices they make because that's the one thing that I cannot control other than educating the client. The way we draft, unless the client wants otherwise, we give the fiduciary, the executor, trustees, powers of attorney, agents, and the like, as much power as possible in a very flexible way. That can be a good thing. It can also be abused. So we want to make sure that that's a very important decision that's made. We want someone who's totally honest, totally trustworthy, and responsible. If we don't have someone like that, then we go to corporate fiduciary, and it's just it's critical. So if we have the uncle that's not trustworthy or the, the sibling that's not trustworthy, we don't want them near that job. I think it might be important to, and, and I'm, I know you, you do this, Richard, uh, to have uh, somebody who can remove the trustee. Uh, create accountability. We all need accountability, and I, I encourage my, my clients in their estate planning to where, where they've selected a trustee is to have annual meetings, you know, typically after the fiduciary tax return is prepared, you know, and uh, involve that the financial advisor in, in those meetings, the attorney, CPA, and uh, the trustee, of course, and, uh, and evaluate, you know, just trustee you don't have to communicate to the trustee that that's what's going on i guess but uh uh somebody in that in that uh close group of advisors perhaps has the power to remove the trustee and appoint another trustee or a family member has that uh, uh i think the power of uh removal and the accountability that that creates is a critical part of uh, any kind of uh, trust document and i would like to add that uh, i remember adam gasper was telling me this years ago uh that he favored corporate fiduciaries because individuals end up in a lot of disputes when they're fiduciaries. And I used to love individual fiduciaries. Uh, but over the years, I have learned that probably 80% of all estate and trust disputes was from a bad fiduciary choice, at least in our, in our uh, practice. So it is a critical thing to consider and make sure you do the right thing. Well, thank, thanks to both of you. Obviously, these are topics over which uh, much discussion can be had. We, we hope to do so in subsequent shows. As we begin to wrap up, uh, let me ask each of you to provide our listeners, uh, again, your contact information, website, social media, whatever you care to, so that uh, folks uh, can reach out and contact you. Uh, Richard? Richard Morgan at Morgan and DeSalvo. Uh, telephone number is 678-720-0750. We have a website with, uh, we, we made it to be very educational, write a monthly newsletter. Happy to have you included. All the prior newsletters are on the site. It is uh, www.morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, DeSalvo, D-I-S-A-L-V-O.com. Thanks a lot. 
Yes, uh, thank you, Robert. The, uh, I'm John Howard, of course, so Resource Planning Group. You can reach me at uh, 770-671-9500. The website is www.rpgplanner.com. And uh, we also have a monthly newsletter it's, uh, that I find quite interesting. It's prepared by my partner, Jason Lena. And, uh, by the way, Richard's, Richard's uh, newsletter is quite excellent, so I would thank commend you. you to that. It is. We, uh, get, we get it so, every month also. It's great. Yeah, so, so thank you. Thank you again for having us here. Well, we enjoyed having you. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today have been Richard Morgan, an attorney with Morgan and DeSalvo, and John Howard, founder and CEO of Resource Planning Group. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.